Should we talk about how we're going to introduce this stuff? Sure. Um, so, what's the name? Well, I don't know. It's a brainstorming session. The last time I was happy. That seems to be our working title. Um, I like that name. Sure. You like it? This is episode, uh, we've yet to determine if it's episode one or two. So I've been like writing down ways of coping that I have, that I like ways of thinking about my life that um, help me like feel better, I guess, when I'm really depressed. So one thing I think about is, is like the idea of everyone I know and me being on like one kind of spaceship like thing the the kind in like star whatever star trek and stuff like that um like just one big ship and like we're all <laughs> like headed to a common destination kind of um and we're all uh i guess like coping with the journey in different ways but but we all have a common destination and um and we're in this like journey together kind of thing um and for some reason that's like a comforting thought to me because like i when i'm feeling depressed like i I think of everyone as like totally separate and i'm totally alone like uh divorced from everyone else so uh, and like I'm gonna die alone and all this kind of stuff or so and, and then I realized that that idea of everyone in one thing like traveling somewhere together that's so much like what we were talking about in in the situations that made us the most happy like with the summer camp situation like everyone in one thing like doing one one thing kind of like um, or having one purpose kind of and like um, united by that. Yeah, it's interesting. I had that. That was an adolescent fantasy of mine in middle school, too, grade, grade seven and eight. I had two fantasies, both involved being somehow stranded with everyone where there was like a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny because yeah. I also had like a psychedelic trip later in life that um, kind of reinforced the same fantasization that's a word where I thought that um, myself and someone else who I was with at the time that we both died and that we were going to spend eternity together under these circumstances and it was comforting to me in some way yeah um, but yeah it was more I think more romantic the, the spaceship stuff for me was like this idea that somebody would be forced to get to know me <laughs> better in those circumstances <laughs> yeah. like they would finally see me for who I was because they had nowhere else yeah. to go they couldn't run off to whatever distractions yeah. were there or something like that yeah, so, yeah. so there was this this sense of kind of like <laughs> having having other people cornered mm-hmm. in a sense and like <laughs> like that there was going to be this infinite stretch of time where we just all, all we would do was interact and they would finally see what's at the root of me yeah yeah, I relate to that so much because it, maybe it's the fact that we're both soft-spoken and shy, etc. Um, or at least I, I think of myself. Um, and like, and because of that, I, I feel like it takes so much, like, time and, and work and stuff, like, um, compared to most people, to like for me to get to a point where I'm myself with people and, and so I, I feel like perpetually unappreciated um, or I, I have throughout my life at least and and yeah and I think that too like if only they were forced to like uh, 
spend more time with me so that I could feel more natural and they would they would come to appreciate the subtleties of my personality that um, yeah that only emerge over time or I guess um, and yeah that's kind of how I, it's it's like how I feel about Toronto like that the qualities of Toronto take time and dedication um, and and like a lot of uh, I don't know generosity of like the way that you experience it like um, versus a more spectacular like um, like conspicuously beautiful city that's like obviously beautiful the second you enter like a European city we're talking about here yeah exactly Um, and yeah so I feel like Toronto takes time to come to appreciate but once you do it's like gorgeous as well Mm. yeah yeah exactly trapped in a place Um, I've thought about I've like fantasized about disasters for that reason like (laughs) if only this woman I like um or like if I'm in a coffee shop, for instance, like if only there there was some kind of like earthquake right now or something, mm-hmm. or like uh, I don't know what, like a nuclear war started right now or something like that. Like um, then <laughs> then we'd be brought together. Or something. Um, we'd have to like uh, um, yeah work together or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. To, like, when I was in middle school, um, I hadn't read it yet because I'm pretty sure we read it in ninth grade or tenth grade or something like that with uh, Lord of the Flies. But I had seen the Swiss Family Robinsons, like the old Disney movie about a family that gets shipwrecked or I don't remember if their plane goes down or how, how they end up on like a deserted island. Um, but it's just them. And the father is quite ingenious and he builds them like a treehouse home with with all sorts of modern amenities based on just like technology and pulleys and levers and whatever so i used to fantasize about that happening to my seventh grade class but naturally like (laughs) the gender divisions would still be enforced that that take place in seventh and eighth grade where all the boys would want to hang out with the boys and all the girls would want to hang out with the girls so there'd be some sort of like tribalism that that cleaved the entire class into these two categories and all the boys would go off and form their their boy tribe and all the girls would live separately and I used to fantasize about like abandoning the boy tribe and just going and and living with my harem of of, like grade 7 girls at the time Um, Mm. and for some reason that appealed to me this idea that like I would be the only guy there so I would have not only like pickings with a lot but I would like I would be the only sexual option as well, I think. And that, that was yeah. something that um, that appealed to me because I knew that, that in, like, restricting the geography, that, that I was somehow also restricting competition in that way. And then I would be like, I would have to be the, <laughs> the main, like, the only romantic option at that point. Would be me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I would build all kinds of ingenious... Um, treehouse mechanisms that would allow us to live in luxury um, was this like a pre uh, was this like before the time that there was like open acknowledgement of sex and romance I think it was just around the time that that sort of stuff was going on at school like it was just an experimentation that, with that, that romance and sex was yeah, well, romance at least it was seventh grade. So I mean, yeah. like there, were, there wasn't real romance. There was like hold hands with someone on the playground for two weeks and say your boyfriend and girlfriend kind of thing. But like yeah. that, there was a rapid kind of increase in that over a short period of time. Grade from yeah. grade six to grade nine, like grade nine, people were sexually experimenting and doing drugs and all kinds of stuff like that. Mm. Whereas like grade six, you're eleven years old and still effectively a child. Yeah. I remember complaining about that to people. Like, why the fuck are people going out at this age or whatever? Like, in, like, mm. grade six or seven or something like that? And you were that age, too? Um, yeah. And I was, like, demanding, like, 
Aren't we aren't we too young to be going out? Like what the fuck is going on? Um Yeah. I had a girlfriend for a week Holy named fuck. Jen Hagen. And it was a travesty to me because I like Jessica Moyer. I was happy to have some sort of adventure or romantic potentiality, but um she wasn't the girl I liked at the time, so it was and and I think I was also too young and too immature to be able to show any attention to her. This is when you were young as fuck? It was grade seven probably. Grade seven. Yeah. What? So you're a jock? Well, hardly, but yeah, no, I was I was the kid that got like picked up and put in the garbage can. I used to skip going outside of recess so I could play chess. It was hardly <laughs> the jock. But also uh you were playing chess with your girlfriend. No, no, I definitely wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where that came from. It was really out of the blue. And I think everyone was just like, you know, had these week-long fascinations with someone else and was just experimenting. So, hmm. But it was around that age where we, we started saying, like, yeah, so-and-so is my boyfriend or my girlfriend. And I had romantic longing pretty much my entire life. So it didn't come out of the blue. Like, I can trace my crushes back to preschool pretty much. Interesting. Yeah, I think I can. Or around grade one, probably. Yeah, you didn't want to be dating right. anyone in middle school. Like you thought it was weird. Yeah. Um, so you had a crush on somebody, but like, if she would have come up to you and said, "Let's be boyfriend and girlfriend," you would have said, "Yeah, I wonder." No, we're too young. Yeah, I don't remember pining in the way that I do now, but mm-hmm. I wonder if at the time I, like, I, I probably didn't even see it as remotely possible for such a thing to happen. So, like, I didn't pine for it like I do now um, for that reason, but. Yeah, I remember in, like, grade one or something, or grade two, there were these, like... I think my interest in women at that age was, like, so... Or, I guess, girls in that situation. um, Was so guided by just, like, uh, the conventions of, like, what men are supposed to be attracted to. So, um, I think it was these girls with blonde hair, like... Um, that were twins or something. Um, and I remember them being like the object of my affection mm. at that age. I think that was the first, like, and this was when I was living in Brockville, this tiny ass town. Um, and yeah, I think that was my first, like, uh, crush or whatever, or that I can remember at least. And then after that, I was this Karen person when I lived in Pickering. And again, it was like this blonde person. Um, And it was like the blondness that was like the (laughs) the salient attraction. I I, uh, once in middle school kind of went wholly in the opposite direction. And I think I was was attracted to my crush at the time because she was, she had like witchy elements. She was like... Mm -hmm. Um, rebellious and I thought that was like I was pretty conservative Christian I suppose at the time or at least I was that was the atmosphere that I was being raised in yeah so it was like so taboo that she was wearing Marilyn Manson t-shirts and like painted her fingernails black and that kind of stuff and I was like oh this who's this like edgy woman that's like gonna stomp on my heart <laughs> that, that was my major attraction to her at the time. Yeah. So, so kind of like bucking whatever societal conventions were there and going in the opposite direction. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it took me another year or two, like probably grade four or grade five, when I was like, when I transitioned to the brown haired uh, woman that I was like attracted to from then on, Haley. And, uh, yeah, and and it was it was a similar dichotomy where like the brunette factor was like rebelliousness, uh, or it, it stood for rebellion, rebelliousness for some reason. Um, and I guess she was kind of her personality matched it. Like she was more crass. Um, I remember one day she uh, she like was telling me to swear really loudly or something because she had never heard me swear or something. To take this back to the 
kind of escapist fantasy of connection like what do you think it is about being with other people whether it be like on a spaceship journey somewhere or at summer camp what do you think it is about persistent human connection that breeds happiness or that is capable of engendering it in you at least There's something about the First common. Comes to mind. Uh, I guess it's the equality. That's what it is. It's like the the equality of fragility or something. Maybe that's what it is. The fact that we're all equally vulnerable in that situation. We're all like floating in this vessel, and we have no control over that fact. But beyond even just the context of like the, the spaceship example or something like that, like if we look at connection to other people whatever that means because it's a fairly broad concept but yeah like what what about connection equals happiness or fulfillment and is it possible to be happy without that i think it's i've thought about this in the context of being an extrovert like i like my happiness is always determined by the presence of other people and 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 i think that a process that's happening like psychologically is that i'm outsourcing my consciousness to other people so I think that's part of part of it that like when I'm around other people the burden of consciousness isn't um, entirely on me like it's divided among the people around me like as I as I as something happens in the room like there's multiple people reacting to that thing um as opposed to just me and um so, like consciousness feels burdensome to you yeah definitely. um or at least when i'm alone it doesn't and so and and people's presence reminds me that uh everyone is um contending i guess with like with life and and yeah, whatever happens to us. Yeah, I think of consciousness as something that's burdensome as well. And I don't know why. Like, I think that's the same reason that it's, like, difficult to meditate. Whatever's at the root of that is, is also the same thing that makes consciousness hard. But I don't know exactly what it is. I had a theory that it's because, like, we're not fully evolved into consciousness yet. Like, we're in this liminal space where we've, we've, like, emerged as sentient beings, but we haven't, like, fully developed consciousness to the point where it's, like, like fully attained, whatever that would look like. Hmm. So that, like, this, this in-between space that we find ourselves in is, for whatever reason, has, like, growing pains to it or something. That's just a, that's a wacky out there hypothesis and nothing more. So consciousness has to be developed further? Yeah, there's like a natural evolution of consciousness. Like if we think about the fact that we, we came from non-conscious, uh, yeah. you know, evolutionary origins mm-hmm. and that like a lot of life on earth today doesn't meet our own criteria for what could be described as possessing consciousness, which is... I guess having developed language, yeah. But it's it's like it's on a scale as well. Like we we know that there are animals that have the capacity to communicate and are like sentient for all intents and purposes. But they're mm. they're not as advanced as as us in their ability to to use language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just thought about the fact that. Uh, or at least I'm assuming that humans throughout history have never spent as much time alone as we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so and all the, all all the same time, like we're surrounded by people, but we're alone in a, in a way that's different than how our ancestors yeah. would have experienced life. And then our consciousness, it's like it manifests as language in our 
in our mind. Um, and then language, it's basically for communicating with other people. So it's like, maybe it's this juxtaposition between the social function of language and the fact that we're alone and thinking and but only to ourselves and, and, and the language reverberates back to us kind of yeah like um, communication or, or spoken language as a, a tool is, is something that I feel is, is meant to kind of like bridge gaps in consciousness because like in less developed species you have all these instances of like a kind of an atomized uh, animal mind in, in each case but it isn't able to network in the same way that we can and like spread ideas virally and that sort of stuff so, so language is like a tool for connecting with other people and it distributes consciousness so like you have, you have a bunch of people who are like working together as part of the team mm. that's connection and I, I feel like something in our evolutionary hardwiring makes us crave that like to, to not be alone to be with other people and to, like to expand our consciousness or to, to connect to a greater whole because there's there's something really painful about this this kind of like existential alienation that's present if you were just like if you weren't fully conscious yeah um do you think that uh, I have a theory that um, that when people are alone, or I guess it like I see it through the um, comparison of myself as an extrovert who wants to be around people most of the time, to most people I know being introverts who don't want to be around people most of the time, and my. Th- theory is the the social cohesion that I require to to be happy is also being pursued by these introverts when they're alone but through objects so like my housemate Zicheng for instance like he's always alone basically um, and and so I, I, I feel like maybe we're pursuing the same thing in the end like the we're actually pursuing the same objective even though it manifests completely differently um but he's deriving a sense of common humanity through listening to music or watching a video whereas i need it straight from the source from like actual people i feel like it's telling that you're an extrovert that has almost exclusively introverted friends because you're an, yeah. you're an interesting type of extrovert. Like you're not what would get characterized yeah. as your stereotypical extrovert. You don't yeah. go up and talk to people. Like my my mom's husband is an extrovert, and if we're at like the movie theater or something like that, in line waiting for popcorn, he can't help himself but start a conversation with other people. Like he'll just start chatting mm. to someone next to him because it's like there's this energy bubbling up inside of him that wants mm. to to connect to strangers. <laughs> Yeah, you want that, but at the same time, it's it's tempered by um, shyness. Yeah, shyness. So it's like, can you be a shy introvert? Or what does that look like? Like, is that these competing desires for connection, but also safety? Um, yeah, that's my life struggle, basically. Like being too shy to initiate the interaction that I pine for, but pining for it at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. so that struggle between those two things. And yeah, so when I say the word extrovert, I mean, I mean it in the sense that I, like, um, I derive energy from other people and, and I get depressed very quickly when I don't have people around or when I'm not interacting with people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like everyone I know operates in the opposite way, that they get tired of being around people very quickly. I think it's all a matter of like how your social battery gets charged because everyone, extroverts and introverts included, require some form of human connection. Yeah. Um, 
I know that I definitely like if if I've been in isolation for too long, and usually my isolation is self-imposed, um, then I'll I'll get into bad habits of thought and behavior, and like that disconnection is really really potent for me as a as a dissolving force mm-hmm. in like the quality of my life and my my inner world. But at the same time, I am introverted enough that if I was at like house party surrounded with people I would want to leave after two hours instead of five kind of thing because I'd be like okay yeah like that's enough that was fun yeah now I'm going and like returning to the solitude of my like personal routine and ambitions and oftentimes it feels kind of like and maybe it's just like existing under capitalism or something but I feel like there's a, a competition for my time and that like I can only do certain things that are of my own agenda when I'm on my own so I have to like set aside time for socialization which is like in some ways um like being beholden to the wants and whims of of other people and their their schedules and what what's going on and then I have to like fight for time to do the things that I can only do when I'm alone like read a book or like work on a woodworking project or scroll mindlessly on the internet which is not something I'm trying to spend a lot of time doing but it, it also <laughs> that eats up a lot of time and then yeah the thing about the party like did, did you mean in a party that um, is attended by people that you know mostly or they are strangers I get most excited for parties that are attended by strangers just because it's like it's exciting to me in some way mm-hmm. but at the same time I hate it like my social anxiety hates it yeah, I, I have that, like, um, battle within me, like, that uh, I want to leave immediately. Like, I detest being at parties mm-hmm. for that reason, um, but uh, but I also can't leave because of the extrovert part. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know that I'm going to regret it, like, crazy, like, as soon as I leave. Um, so, yeah, it's just fucking torture. Like, Have you been at parties where you've had a good time with, like, a bunch of people that you didn't know, like, just ended up talking to a bunch of strangers and actually one happened like right before i met alex um i think it was like december 2019 i went to this party that robert invited me to with kelsey and yeah it was it was really strange it was like the first party environment where most people were strangers to me that i somewhat enjoyed i i felt like i could roughly relate with a lot of the people there was kind of like an artsy whatever like um aesthetic to the people and stuff and some people spoke to me and stuff like including this woman that um seemed interested in me so like that was really affirming and um, trampoline hall kind of like i guess there's a bit of familiarity with the regulars but like isn't it kind of like a so that's the other example yeah exactly so um well trampoline hall actually yeah so trampoline hall you're not forced to talk to people trampoline hall yeah. the same way you are at a party it's more well fun. you kind of are at uh so this event trampoline hall that i volunteer for um there's christmas parties every year and like so all the people that are involved with it the volunteers and etc go to this one space like to i guess the main like the host's house so it's this tiny like house space so it's re- really intimate with, with all these people. And I don't know any of them, basically, like, or except for, like, the chairs team that I'm part of, um, which is tiny. And and often they don't show up, too. So so there's been situations that, that are, like, fucking my worst nightmare in life, like, where I'm the only person I know in the... Well, sometimes I don't know anyone in, in the party. There was one time when... <laughs> I still have, like, nightmares, basically, of this. Where this woman started a conversation with me, like, out of pity or something, or, or at least that's how I interpret it. And then, after <laughs> realizing that I'm so so bad at conversation, or, like, she, like, gave up eventually or something, and, like, <laughs> moved on. But, anyways, uh, Trampoline Hall itself is decent, because, like, it's not as intense in the sense that you have to... Like, it look, it's really conspicuous if you're not talking to someone. Um, and then there was that trampoline hall adjacent event recently where, um, like, called This Is Not The Show, where 
the whole point of the event is to get strangers talking to each other mm-hmm. and that was incredible like that was like um, it felt like some kind of breakthrough in my life where like I'm in a I'm in a room full of strangers and I feel almost comfortable talking to them like I, I don't feel like a yeah like a human uh, dumpster or something and I think that's because there were a bunch of exercises in this event to split people up into or to uh, I guess maintain the fact that no one knows each other like to like get people to talk to strangers and then to speak to other strangers so that they they don't just build up like cliques kind of thing Mm -hmm. so yeah there's this feeling of equality amongst everyone that like we're all like strangers to each other and yeah that really helped me Um, hmm. yeah I've never done any speed dating or anything like that but I I'm reminded of like icebreaker events at certain trainings that I've done over Zoom where you'll end up in a breakout room with four people and you're supposed to just, you have like a prompt and you're just supposed to talk with all of them and then after seven minutes they shuffle the breakout rooms and, and you're with a new group of three or four different strangers. Oh, really? What was the context? Uh, we're all, all on a board of directors together. Hmm. Why? But why are they doing that? Uh, icebreakers so you get to know one another because hmm. like a lot of the people that I'd be serving on the board with I are completely new to me it's part, this is part of training so yeah so did you develop friendships from that um, not as much as I think if we were meeting in person but it's good to like get a sense of who people are yeah so what's our conclusion about the uh have we come to any rookie mistake? Have we come to any conclusions about like what? Um, I don't think so. What it is about these situations that we describe that make us happy? Mm-hmm. And is that happiness, or is that like happiness adjacent? Is happiness a feeling, or is it? I guess the familiarity of people is, is also like. Is that a requirement for happiness? Like for. For these groups that we talked about, like your summer camp, my um, American Apparel job. Sounds like it. My spaceship metaphor or whatever. Yeah, there's Um, like a belonging that that emerges from recurrence. Like it's not just like you're you're not just with those people one time and that like made you happy and then you're with a group of other people. There's there's sort of of like a structure that it adds to life where Mm. you're like part of something greater than just the self. Yeah. feels like we could segue into talking about like meeting and, and like in-group dynamics yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff yeah um, and the way that uh, that in our system or in our culture like like our meaning is determined by the self like by ourselves I remember Matt Chrisman of Chapo talked about how the move from Catholicism to Protestantism like in Europe was that basically like that process of like in Catholicism um, people derived meaning socially like it was socially constructed and determined and like so you looked to the church or to your community or your yeah uh, the congregation or whatever it is um, for meaning in life um, and your values and, and your beliefs and stuff and, and and then Protestantism was a move towards uh, looking internally for for values and beliefs and etc like mm. that it, it's more self-determined um, so it's like looking into the mirror for for those things like for meaning in life um, and so we're at the most extreme version of that now, I guess. Like, where, like, Chrisman says we're all Protestants or something, like, now, like, in the world or whatever, basically, because, like, we all uh, derive meaning from the self in that way. And 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 that's a huge burden, I guess, kind of, is, is the, is the mm-hmm. idea. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, the Protestant Reformation was essentially a divisive act. It was like, even the word Catholic means universal. So there was this, this, you know, monolithic cultural force that was the Catholic Church that had existed since antiquity, pretty much at that point. And then suddenly you have somebody breaking off from that in radical fashion. And then that, that spread like wildfire and you end up with all of these uh, different factions. And, and there was like, you know, denominationalism or whatever you want to call it, where everybody was warring with within them, themselves and like competing over who had the right dogma. So you shifted from having like a totality and like the unification of, of a universal church and doctrine to having like everybody fighting over what was what was true yeah and that makes sense that that would then suddenly shift the the value system from being one of like a group dynamic to like an individual okay who's right on like their own specific um propositions yeah um yeah so it's like a fragmented uh I guess normativity or like uh, I think that like Cartesian dualism had a lot to do with that too like focusing on the self like this idea of the mind-body split and and kind of like a hyper-individualism that had its roots in yeah philosophy of um, like enlightenment philosophy essentially Okay, so if we derive meaning from ourselves, then, and and that's like a burdensome uh, responsibility, I guess, like uh, to forge value from the self. Like, so maybe that's another reason that um, being with other people with a common purpose that gives you collective uh, purpose or like it gives you it gives meaning collectively to your life Mm. Um, yeah as opposed to that uh, Protestant version of like um, derivation of meaning yeah I mean like Protestant denominations still offered like once they reached their maturity I think still offered the same kind of religious meaning that Catholicism did and that you, you were participating in a system of values with people and there's yeah. like shared uh, practices and, and doctrines and that kind of stuff but um, yeah ultimately somewhere along the line we, we fell victim to, to solipsism I think and this idea that like and so much of that gets reflected in the values of the 20th, 20th century particularly in America, I think, like how we built our society around automobiles is this like individual unit to go like anywhere that you want to go. Uh, yeah. it's like it's like an ego with with wheels attached to it, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's a good uh, comparison too. That um, the the happy situations we've talked about are kind of like public transit equivalents versus. Um, Everyone having a car, mm-hmm. like to get some. I think that there's there there's probably some sort of medium that exists, and that like I I'm at a point where I, I've been thinking a lot about like what the self is, and it's kind of a paradox because there's inherently my everyday experience is limited to my own sensory perceptions and like. But I, I also think that there's an entire realm of experience outside of that that sees me as part of a greater whole. And, like, how do you be a fraction and the greater whole at the same time sort of thing? Like, if, I don't know if that makes any sense. So your yourself, like, comes from your milieu and then... Um, but but then it's a fragment of it, I guess. Um, like it's a cumulative fragment of um, 
all your life's experiences and like people yeah yeah and I'm at, at once both um a tiny tiny part of something that I know is much larger and, and also I am that much larger thing um which yeah sounds contradictory in some way but I feel yeah. like that's the essence of spirituality is recognizing recognizing that within yourself that you're not just you that like the self is yeah yeah like uh undoing the 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 whole idea of self I guess like uh, losing the self mm. which is the the aim of uh large number of like eastern spiritual practices and, and meditative and contemplative uh, yeah. undertakings over centuries yeah I see that as like what gets me out of the house um, constantly like the fact that I can't be in the house for basically any longer than I have to hmm. it's because myself is overwhelming so I have to diversify it or something like with other people or something I think that you're lucky that you haven't fallen victim to um really really like acidic tendencies or or technologies that allow you to kind of numb out that sensation because i think it's there for everyone but i think there's like like there's a reason that so much of the population is is just comfortable in a dark room staring at netflix Mm -hmm. that like you can just put that on and as soon as a story starts being told to your brain like you forget that you're alone so people have become almost reliant on that as like okay well I can't leave the house at every second so I'm just gonna find something that distracts me from that pain which is like it's a salve ultimately like you're just you're putting a band-aid on on the feeling but it's like it begins to suck you in in a lot of ways I don't don't like being at home all the time staring at a screen but it's, it's like there's such a magnetism to it if you're sad or distracted and like it's it for me at least it's competitive with the, the sense of satisfaction that I get from being around other people like it, it can go either way if I'm like being lazy and already in that mode of just like oh just like one more YouTube video whatever like it'll just everything else stops existing it's just like tunnel vision and, and so so dangerous for that reason too where I think you're pretty immune to it because like you you have a clear hierarchy of no, yeah. actually going outside and doing real things feels better than this. It always feels like a compromise. Like watching mm-hmm. a video or listening listening to music or doing anything alone in my house, like it always feels like, um, okay, I guess I'll do this while I wait for the real thing to happen or something. Like um, it never feels like the actual thing that I want to be doing. Or, like, I, it, it feels illegitimate or something. Like, I can't... I shouldn't be de- deriving much from this, like, because it's not real or something. Mm. I don't know. It's like, it yeah. feels to me like a good psychological immune system that you have in place there. Um, um, good in the sense that it encourages me to live more in the world, but bad in the sense that it's, like, constant source of agony or like I usually can't uh, yeah achieve such a social life as, as I want to so mm. because everyone else is an introvert watching Netflix would you ever throw yourself out of your comfort zone and just start I don't know signing up for things or engaging in activities with people that you don't know or you have to yeah I'm considering it yeah I never have before because of, uh, as I mentioned before, like the social anxiety and the shyness and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it makes doing those things fucking horrible. Um, but yeah, what's worse? <laughs> which yeah. horrible? Which horrible is worse? But long term, I guess it's better to yeah deal with that stuff. I'd love to see you in like an improv class or or just like <laughs> <laughs> some yeah, random meetup dot com. Like mm-hmm. that would be interesting. Just like so far out of your comfort zone yeah yeah I, I should do and and that's also what people keep recommending as an alternative to online dating 
Mm. Yeah, um, that'd be interesting to see. Just like, doing random shit where strangers are involved. Make involved. a documentary about that. Of, that was just like you sign something where you yeah, agree to yeah. not do online dating for three months and instead replace it with like yeah. all this smattering of, of like enforced social activity. Yeah, that's the only way I can imagine actually doing that. Like, um, if it was in the context of some kind of like social experiment or art piece where I'm mm-hmm. like documenting my... Mm-hmm. Um, is the reason behind that though because then you know you would have yeah, like, as a result like, of that yeah. you would have an art piece that you could then show to some romantic yeah. prospect afterwards and be like <laughs> <laughs> well uh, that too but but I think it's more that it um, it narrates my uh, at least prospective alienation in those situations so the fear that I have about going into a like a situation surrounded by strangers um, it would be mitigated by the idea that um, I'm being accompanied by this like uh, panopticon almost of of the the fact that I'm gonna make art based on this experience this like meta kind of presence of it, it's like the people that are gonna receive this piece are with me right now in this mm. experience so it like it makes it feel like I'm not going through this alone because I'm ultimately going to share it through this medium whatever it is interesting well, what sort of uh, kind of rigid social socially structured activities could you see yourself diving into or what would what would hold interest to you like classes the problem is like nothing really interesting like except for yeah so I guess it, it like when people tell me to do something like a class or whatever mm-hmm. to pursue romance instead of online dating like or, or like not even with the aim of pursuing romance but just yeah. like meeting a broader well, orthogonally name. to pursue romance yeah and, and I mean like presumably organic romantic encounters happen yeah. as a byproduct of, of those yeah, sort of a things. side effect or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it feels dishonest because like, I have no interest in doing... in contending with a bunch of strangers. Like, Contending in what way? Like having to join a class where I don't know anyone. Mm. Like that's a huge amount of anxiety and like struggle. Like I fucking hate that. So I like the... The the truth of it is that I would only do such a thing for the romance that I hope will happen in front of. So. It's weird because like you want to be connected to all these people, but at the same time you're scared of them. Yeah, or, like, like do you only want to be connected to like the select five or six people in your life that you're close to all the time, or like is well, there? I want a as many as possible. Or it's yeah. just that the process to get there is ah. like horrifying. Um, and like, and I know that usually it doesn't amount to anything. Like most of the time I'm not actually developing friendships when I'm encountering strangers it, it takes an enormous like I would have to meet like a million strangers basically to like form one meaningful long term friendship so I feel like our like, friendship was pretty easy breezy in terms of it's yeah like you were you were mutual already we met through through Timothy yeah but there wasn't I can think of like a couple times where we, we just sort of hung out in a group setting, mm-hmm. but I could sense a curiosity already that you were kind of like, "Oh, who is this Josh guy?" <laughs> you know, um, yeah. we we were Joshua curious. Yeah, exactly. We we piqued each other's interest. I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I can see myself being friends with Alexander." I think like we had we had a good time <laughs> in in like two mediated social encounters with Timothy, where we went over to his house one time and then. Mm the time that we wandered around Ryerson and like aside from that I think we just started hanging out on our own and it was pretty painless yeah I remember the way you spoke really appealed to me or something that it's like really soft and like uh, non-aggressive or whatever because like mm-hmm. I find that most men I think that I meet are like a little braggadocious so alienatingly yeah like uh, gregar- or it's not really gregarious it's like boisterous or confident I guess in how they speak like they just there's no sensitivity to the subtleties of interaction 
and yeah, and and with you, you were the opposite. It was like conspicuously gentle and how I you am a little mild mannered. It's true. And stuff. <laughs> I, do, I do try to put a bit of thought into my speech before. Yeah, and I'm also yeah. I've been told that like throughout my life, I've been told that I'm very. Um, I come across as very easygoing or relaxed or soft-spoken in some way and I've, I was yeah. always like really like I never or, or that I'm like and somehow I seem like I don't get angry mm-hmm. which is probably not There's a good thing because like everybody's supposed <laughs> to get angry right and I must have a well of, of anger inside of me that's untapped um, yeah do I get angry I think, get, I, get angry. I think we both yeah. get frustrated like I, I would love to just go out in a field and and like scream from the depths of my lungs and smash something with a (laughs) bat or a hammer or something yeah i certainly get indirectly like i'm constantly complaining to my friends about other people i don't see your anger as aggression though i see your anger as as like definite frustration of of kind of like annoyance of like yeah you know fuck this like how is this happening again sort of thing but never never like i want to you know brute out and just see uh, red and, and smash yeah. the world kind of thing. I don't think I've ever like expressed anger mm. at someone like like yelled at someone. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember the first time I swore back at my stepdad because like a lot of I think a lot of the anger that wow. was developing in me at a young age was a result of bullying. Mm. Um, and I was a teenager at one point and, and yeah we were in a shouting match or something like that and I just like I just let it go at one point in time and, and swore wow. at him uh, out of anger. But prior to that, like my major outlet for that sort of thing was uh, jumping on a trampoline with my best friend at the time and listening to like really really bad rap rock music that was popular <laughs> in the, the late nineties. Like there were sections of uh, Do you know the band Corn? Of course, yeah. yeah. I was well acquainted with Corn like, back in the <laughs> the, the the breakdowns in, in Corn the like. Or, or like the kind of uh, primal ooh, ooh, ah, 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 kind of like that that sort of stuff you really yeah, get get into it of a, yeah system of a down exactly yeah. that 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 kind of like um ape like uh, yeah ape like catharsis uh, almost yeah guttural <laughs> eruptions i would jump on the trampoline with my friend and when those sections of breakdowns we would almost like a mosh pit or something like that but i remember like yeah. just this this primal force inside of me that needed some sort of outlet mm. at the time because i was so bullied and tormented and i had nothing like nowhere to put that energy yeah um and i remember at one point just trying screaming at the top of my lungs to see how it felt mm. but since then like I, I have had like hints of anger bubble up to the surface here and then, but I, I it definitely feels like an unexplored part of me that I need to find a, a better outlet for, yeah. which is like probably part of a wider conversation about healthy masculinity. Yeah, um, I was like always uh, I don't know if I would call it bullied, but I, I was like I don't know what word I would use. I was always on edge, I guess, like, about my stepfather. Yeah, he was just, like, a very menacing kind of, like, presence in the house. Like, like would only criticize, I guess. Uh, that was his only interaction, basically. Like, he wouldn't... He, like, he was very unpleasant. Uh, but, yeah, like, I never came close to even yelling or swearing, like, I, mm. at him. Like, Did you resent was, him? I was, like, a mouse. Like, that was my approach, just, like... Uh, did I what? Did you resent him? Yeah, definitely, always. And and my dynamic was that my mother would always intervene and, like, start yelling at him and defend me. Um, but, yeah, I wondered to what extent that was, like, actually uh, harmful for me because, like, I never developed defense mechanisms. Did the criticisms of you, did they influence your self-perception at the time? Not really, because, like, I... Again, because my mother was always there to defend me, mm-hmm. like, more vocally than he would criticize. I just went with her interpretation of events, sort of. Like, I agreed with what yeah. she was saying, that I'm whatever, I'm wonderful and great, and, like, all these compliments. Um... 
So he was just this, like imposing force in the household. That, yeah, like, that I just wanted to negative, negative. be away from whatever, and yeah, and I had to be defended by my mother. Um, and yeah, like I wonder to what extent that informs the way I am now. That like, yeah, maybe something about my need for people or need for a partner or something like that like mm-hmm. is, is like some kind of safety device that yeah I mean it sounds like um, your mom growing up was always she was she was like your shield and armor effectively if you derive yeah. a sense of safety from female connection yeah like, exactly yeah. what little I know of attachment theory that's probably yeah. something to be said there yeah I'd like to continue the topic of, uh, yeah, the stepfather, like, um, I guess similarity in in that dynamic that we have. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe in the next episode. Yeah, it's because uh, I think there's a lot of overlap, and, and uh, yeah, even mom, mommy coming to the defense and that kind of stuff. <laughs> really? Yeah, sure. I didn't know that happened with you. Yeah. I think I did observe uh, or absorb uh, a bit more of the criticism. Like, I, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I'm able to think back to, like, my stepdad did a lot of name-calling, and it wasn't necessarily malicious, and I, I came to realize later in life that it, it's a result of the fact that he grew up around name-calling. and like he Yeah, yeah, same, same with my stepfather, I think. Um, so he had, you know, his high school experience, like, he had nicknames, and, and it, I think it was treated kind of like um, half jokingly like oh you, you know you have a kind of a derogatory nickname for this person or that's just you know what you call them if you call them um, yeah you know, dickhead that's just you know a joke kind of thing but but around the household yeah. it was always like if I didn't put my dishes away or something like that it's like butthead you didn't do this or like, like and like <laughs> I, it became the norm sort of thing but as a kid like you don't have yeah. the mental faculties to kind of parse that as being like okay he called me a name but like that doesn't mean that I'm worth less or that I'm you know uh, that I should feel unsafe in the, the household or that mm-hmm. kind of stuff because that, that stuff just is like it's low impact but it's over such a long period of time that I think and if you're already going through stuff in life with other areas of being bullied and like having yeah. self-esteem issues already it's just it's just kind of like ambient in, in the background one of those things that's kind of chipping away at your self-esteem at the time hmm. so name, name calling is like classic bullying and it's it's also like really really bad for kids so you like internalized the yeah the and I didn't realize it I, yeah. I, I just like it was just one more of those factors that was deleterious to my my self esteem at the time. Yeah. Um. But mommy, like, if, if he was doing something I didn't like, or like asking me to do something, I could go to mommy and it would be safe, sort of mm-hmm. thing. Or like she would, she would intervene when it got really bad, or like she didn't feel like he was being fair. Yeah. Which, like, to be to be perfectly honest <laughs> I, I learned that as a strategy to get away with shit too because I was like I wasn't yeah. perfect you know I would come home and I would want to eat 10 cookies out of the cookie jar when yeah. I knew that I was only allowed to have two per day or something like that yeah um, and then I would you know want to watch four hours of television after school even though I had homework and, and that kind of stuff so I'm, I'm able as an, an adult with like presence of mind and, and salience right now to recognize that I needed some form of discipline but I just it, yeah. it wasn't doled out in a way that was healthy at the time. So did you wait for your mother to be around to do those things? Yeah, yeah, and I think I would hide from him and different stuff like that. Yeah. My like classic example um, was whenever there was water involved, or like um, I had like a fear of especially dark water, like lakes in Canada, basically, like. Mm. Um, so I never, as I do to this day, like I, I, yeah, I'm like terrified of swimming in that. Um, and, and then also like even in pools, like in a pool situation, like I would inch into the water, like incredibly slowly because like it was too, it was usually too cold to like, I didn't want to, yeah, get in quickly. Um, and, uh, 
and so in all these situations like my stepfather was always there yelling at me like just get in or like jump in or something like um like basically be a man or something is basically the uh, message or like um don't be so sensitive and don't be so scared about things um and yeah and then my mother would be saying leave him alone whatever like um and and in the summer like he would be yelling at me to not wear socks and go outside and like play outside like and not play video games in the basement or something and like be like a cave person or something at which now I value whatever like but um I think that dynamic is maybe the root of my um or at least it relates to the root of my uh preference for urbanism versus like nature and the way that I see nature as like the more like abrasive masculine like setting versus like the urban landscape as being more yeah. comforting and feminine that's of, that's like, interesting because like symbolically uh, or, or like on a archetypal level it's it's like supposedly the inverse like mother nature yeah. and like yeah like natural settings are supposedly um supposed to represent the feminine but there's also a degree of like stereotypical masculine cunning that's required in being like an outdoorsy like survival within nature yeah. nature's brutal yeah and that like fear of of the depths of a, a dark lake is so primal it's like that's the mm-hmm. the um the unconscious almost and, and like a, a very natural if you can't see the bottom you don't know what's lurking beneath yeah um and like wanting to kind of ease into that and having this this like tyrannical figure barking at you <laughs> trying like like more or less like devaluing your personhood as a result of like the fact that you you're precautious towards these things it's mm-hmm. understandable that there's not warm fuzzy memories attached to those sort of things yeah And I guess, yeah, you, like, when did you get the cottage in your, your life? When did your, uh, your family make the move? Yeah, they got this cottage at, um, I don't know, it was, like, 2000, uh, hmm, 2014, maybe, something like 2013, something like that. And, like, I would fully guess. shifted to, to... And that became the family home, yeah. Interesting. So, and I, I really resented it. Is your stepdad like an outdoorsy guy? Uh, it's like a weird blend where, I don't know, kind of, I guess. But like not, uh, I guess compared to everyone else in my family, yeah. But I don't know if he's ever gone, or maybe he has gone camping and stuff like that. I just kind of think of it. Yeah, I guess he is kind of. Did you have a nature dynamic? Nature versus indoor dynamic in your family? I grew up in a small town where nature was just always kind of um, on the periphery, it felt like. Like, it, it just took, yeah. like, a 30-second bike ride, and all of a sudden you're at the edge of the subdivision, and there's Me too, flowing yeah. brooks. And, and There was a forest right behind our house. And I, I remember enjoying playing in that as a child. I didn't have a preference for one or the other. And I think, like, my... My temperament kind of alienated me from the small town folk pretty easily, pretty early on, to the point where uh, I wanted to get out of that small town as soon as I could, and I was attracted to the city because it was somewhere that there was culture, and I could go and visit art galleries and see movies that weren't available to me. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think I was... I I developed a bit of a split at some point in time where I was just like, I, I have a lot of positive associations with nature from camp and from certain like spiritual experiences and and uh trips with people that i've had a lot of fun with to to cottages or or having like yeah psychedelic experiences in nature that that were meaningful um but i also can't give up the culture 
either because it's like that's part of connection for me is like the ability to participate in the creation of, of art and culture with my contemporaries that you can't find in isolation yeah I think the salient thing to me is that um, I've never felt masculine I, th I think like uh, or at least I've never felt like I could excel in the qualities that are valued in men like toughness and like um, utility I guess like just um, instrumentality being useful like I've never felt useful functionally Fixing or like physically or whatever yeah. the fuck. Um, and so in nature like those are the qualities that uh, seem most valuable like and then in in an urban setting like um, the qualities that I that I do have I guess like are more useful like um, yeah just like cultural uh, like appreciation basically and like um, yeah I don't even know what that makes sense art stuff like does this conclude our uh, I think so it's getting dark episode. it's getting cold yeah well it's already cold but alright it's the um Oh, wait, did we already say the date? The 17th? It is officially the 17th. 17th. 7.56 p.m. Of May 2022.